Hey, welcome to this week's edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I am your host, David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, and joined, as always, by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. I can't believe it's June, Terry. Very weird. And you've got some June appearances coming up that we should tell people about. One of them is on Tuesday the 7th. Why don't you take it? Tuesday the 7th, 7 p.m., will be library. I think it's my first library appearance since... 2019 i think or early 2020 before the pandemic so uh, and it, those are always free i give a talk we take questions people have books they want me to sign um you know i'll be glad to sign them i think they usually have somebody selling books there they raise money for the library so that's june 7th 7 p.m the willoughby library and then june 14th the following tuesday at walls of books which is in Parmatown, and that's uh, at 6 30 walls of books Parmatown on the 14th and i took that one one it's a newer bookstore and secondly i grew up in parma just down the street on westminster drive so it's a good excuse kind of to go to the old neighborhood so hope to catch people at both of them in that same same format i will uh, talk talk to people sign books of course the bookstore will love to sell you some but either way i hope to see some people and not trying to tell anybody what to do for Father's Day, but Terry, you got one yeah. on June 7th and one on June 14th, and Father's Day just happens to be on June 19th. So there and you I go. And I know online, the end of the commercial, is they're offering at David Gray's website, and we'll put it up again on Twitter, is uh, a two-for-one deal on vintage calves and vintage browns. They're all signed for uh, Father's Day. So there we are, like three consecutive shameless plugs, a new Terry <laughs> podcast record. There you go. All right, let's get into the Browns a little bit here, Terry. Uh, kind of the big news of the last few days has been David Njoku's new contract. Uh, the Browns going through OTAs this week. They have one more next week. But uh, Njoku's new deal, four years, $56.75 million, and it includes an $11.465 million signing bonus and $28 million of it is guaranteed. He's going to make $25 million in the first two years, uh, and he's now the fifth payest fifth highest paid tight end in the NFL behind George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Godert, and Mark Andrews, who is a Browns killer for the Ravens. But uh, Terry, what did you think of the contract extension? And I know you've been crunching the numbers a little bit. Why don't you tell people a little about what you're uh, feeling well, about first it? First, I saw $56 million. I knew that was high. Um, but I really wondered the big thing is the guarantee in that. And it amounts to a two-year, $25 million um, contract. I mean, but all these things are exorbitant. But in terms of what they pay tight ends in the NFL, it's it's not that bad. The big thing is they can get out of it in two years. And even there's like a $3 million buyout. But as someone from the Browns told me, if they don't sign him, you know, in other words, they drop him after two years, if somebody else picks him up, they'll pay that $3 million. So the Browns basically decide, we'll try him for two more years. We know it's a little high. Um, what I see, David, is they're looking at this as a challenge, not only for Deshaun Watson or whoever the quarterback is this year, but for, for Stefanski. Well, let's get into that. There's kind of two parts of this, Terry. The, the first one is is the money. And there's some fans, you can see some of the sentiment out there about why are they paying this guy? His production hasn't been there. Are you okay with this contract in terms of the dollar figure and the amount of time and everything? It sounds like you are. Yeah, reluctantly, but yes, okay. uh, because I'm as frustrated as a lot of the fans. But one of the things that changed me around a little bit is I was kind of researching the Joku and the contract. You know, in 2018, I believe he caught 56 passes 
Najoku did. That was with a, a healthy Mayfield. Um, clearly a different type of offense. Whatever that was, they were running with Kitchens and before that, Todd Haley. In other words, this was supposed to, this with the current offense, was Stefanski is supposed to be tight end friendly. Actually, uh, he was more productive with whatever that hybrid was that they ran in 18. Then 2019, he got hurt, played only four games. Uh, and then Stefanski came in and they threw all that money at, uh, at Austin Hooper. I don't know. What'd you think of Hooper? Uh, underwhelming and underperformed for what he was yeah. supposed to be. Yeah. And I think the Browns saw that too. And they moved on. How about this? He had more drops and touchdown passes his two years with the Browns. I mean, that's a bad stat for a tight end. Um, and they brought him his contract. The two years there was almost about as much as they're paying to Joku now. Now, whether he was the focal point of the tight end offense or whatever it was, Najoko got kind of lost in it. So I'm sure when they were sitting down about the Njoku when Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta were sitting down with Stefanski, it was like, okay, if we do this and pay this guy, uh, are you going to get him the ball? So it's a running, well, two things, Terry. First of all, I think one of the things that allowed them to make this move, and we've talked about this, is that Nujoku's blocking has improved dramatically. Mm -hmm. And I think when they brought in Hooper, they're like, hey, we want to run the ball. We need a tight end who can really get after it blocking. And Hooper had shown he can done that, could do that. Now with Nujoku's blocking the way it is, I think they felt like they could give him the money. But um, it's kind of a running joke on the Ohio State beat. And Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means, our colleagues, talk about this on Buckeye Talk all the time. But every year it's like, oh, Ohio State's going to throw to the tight ends. They're going to throw to the tight ends. And they never throw to the they tight ends because they have amazing wide receivers. Yes. So you look at this Browns offense and you mention what will Kevin Stefanski do. And we've been writing a little bit this week about that expect them to use more 12 personnel, more wide receivers. Do you think that Kevin Stefanski is actually going to move away from the three tight ends and the running heavy stuff and, and go to more wide receivers and get the ball to Najoku more and make him more of a focal point instead of just being one of three guys? Or do you think it's going to be, is it going to be same old thing or is this going to actually change? What do you think? Well, if you don't have Hooper, so then you kind of almost take like the passes that went to Njoku and Hooper and roll them into Njoku. That would be one of the ways to look at it with Harrison Bryan, who I like kind of a, a bit as the backup. Uh, and then they would probably, you know, have some more with, with the wide receivers. I'm just curious to see what it looks like. You know, there's so few of David because uh, Deshaun Watson as a quarterback, we're talking pure football now. He's a, he is the most accurate passer in NFL history. He's thrown at least 1,500 passes, 67%. So if he wants to get the ball to tight end, he could probably get the ball to tight end. He can get the ball to running back, the ball anywhere he wants. Um, a lot of those are shorter passes and that kind of thing, but nonetheless, he could do it. They feel that, um, they being the Browns, that Njoku could get behind some of these defenses and really go. Now, I thought Najoku dropped a lot of passes. This is another thing where I was looking at the, uh, you know, the stats. Well, in 2018, when he caught those 56 balls, he did have six drops. And it seemed like a couple were in the end zone and that type of thing. The last two years, where I think he's only caught, I forgot how many passes, 52 total or something, is fewer than, uh, he's had three drops. At least that's what the stats say. So his hands have probably improved, as you said, his blocking has. But this is his chance 
in effect, it's a two-year contract. The $56 million thing means nothing. Um, as one NFL person told me, they when they're negotiating the contracts, they'll let all this other stuff come in. So we could say it's four years, 56 million, one of the all-time greatest, you know, contracts for a tight end. So the agent could take his victory lap. And then eventually the real numbers come out. You see, well, you know, it's expensive, but it's not, it's not crazy. All right. So you, you think that they will change the offense? This I think year? they're going to try. Dramatic. Yeah. Think, yeah. Also, they can. They should be in a position to do this. The idea of changing away from Baker Mayfield uh, with Watson and also, you know, even moving on from Case Keenum. And I was told they feel Brissett at this point in their career is a better backup quarterback than Keenum. We will see. Um, is that they could do more stuff with them. So let's see it. Yeah, and as we've written and, and talked about, Terry, the Browns are an outlier by a wide margin when it yeah. comes to using three tight ends. And I think I think you're right. I think we are going to see that move back to where they're more in the mainstream in terms of formation usage. So, um, yeah, I still want to, David. I still want to run the ball a lot. I don't want to want to get get away from that. But when you look, break down, the, I don't think there's going to be a big move on the receivers. You know, you, you've got uh, Amari Cooper. That was the big move. They drafted David Bell, and uh, I think and uh, DPJ, you know, Donovan People Jones. Those are your big three. And you know, Schwartz, he was a rookie. He got hurt. He dropped balls. I don't know what you got. The rest of those guys, I mean, who knows? Yeah, they're gonna have to earn their playing time. So, uh, so Alex Van Pelt is always fast to point out. Oh, we still have to hand the ball to Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. But he made an interesting comparison. He said that he sees a little bit of Aaron Rodgers in Deshaun Watson. What did you think of that? In terms of ex extending plays, the accuracy that you were just talking about? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, you see, they have Watson just rated a lot higher than I do. They've got him, and the, uh, the various people from the uppity-ups of the Browns have either told me top three or top five. I hope that's correct. I don't. I've got him kind of in that five to eight range. You know, really good. But when we start talking – uh, Rogers, I mean, it's a Hall of Fame. Patrick Mahomes, Hall of Fame. Tom Brady, Hall of Fame. Now, Brady's dropped off some, but my goodness, he's still good. You know, so there's your top three. And then you've got, you know, some of the other younger ones coming up with Josh Allen and, and so on. Um, we'll see. But I, I'm always a little, I guess you could. I don't see their styles. David, help me. Do you see the styles being the same? Uh, a little bit in terms of Watson's able to move around a little bit and and get and shake guys mm -hmm. open. And Rodgers does that too. But, I mean, Rodgers has got to be the most accurate quarterback yeah. I've ever seen in the history of the game. I mean, it's amazing. The windows that he puts balls into and and just the way he gets – yeah, I think I think Rodgers' arm strength is a little bit yes. quicker and, and – uh, He's got a little more zip, but I could I mean, see, it. I could see it in, the way, in terms of the way they play. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking all time greats. And that's why I hesitate to go down there. And now passing accuracy, um, it could be a little bit deceiving because it depends you know, how far down the field do the passes go, all that kind of stuff. But uh, they are counting on Watson and even Brissett just to get them over consistently over 60% completion. And as you said, to extend play. So we will see. But Najoku, I mean, 
Stefanski says straight out, we have big plans for him. That was the exact quote. Well, let's see him. Yep. And I think I'll tell you one thing, they put out some big money for him. And the one thing the Browns are banking on Terry is is I think in in Houston, Deshaun Watson did not have a lot of talent around him a lot of times. Yep. And I think the Browns think they've got an upgraded roster compared to what he had before. So, all right, more OTAs next week for the Browns on Wednesday, and then they will head to mandatory minicamp on June 14th and 16th, and then they'll be off, and then training camp starts. It's coming up fast. So, all right, Terry, let's move on to the Guardians. Oscar Gonzalez, who we were talking about the last few weeks, has been called up and is make, making a huge impact. Um, what are your impressions of him so far? I am just delighted because, we, first of all, we are banging the drum for him for a couple of weeks saying, I know he doesn't walk, but he also doesn't strike out. You know, he was striking out one or eight or nine times at bat. That's, that's really uh, impressive in modern baseball, and along with hitting some home runs. Then he comes up here, and he's just hitting the ball kind of where it's pitched. You know, he's not really going with the big uppercut swing to try and hit it out of the play, out of the park. He's just – and he's strong. You know, he hits rockets. It's nice to see – Tom Hamilton and I were talking about it Friday night when I was at the Guardians game, and he says, it's just nice to see another big guy up there that at least scares the other team when you look at him because some of our players are small, and that's very true. In the outfield, you know, I was told he was pretty bad. Now, poor, you know, SpongeBob, our guy SpongeBob. I, I love all that. By the way, he comes to the plate. They play that song, and the fans yell, "SpongeBob SquarePants." You know, that's his theme song. Uh, you know, two outs, he flips it to the crowd. It's like, oh! But he actually made a nice running catch in the corner, right, to catch that ball to begin with. And he's thrown out a guy at the plate when I was there. I saw him beat out an infield hit. What I'm saying, David, is I see more of a baseball player than just a big guy who hits. They can play this guy in the outfield. You know, it would be nice if he could take over right field. you got Strawn Center, who could run in between everybody, and then whether Quan or Rosario or a combination thereof take over and left, I'm sure Terry Francona would just – it's one less thing that he has to, like, chew bubblegum and rock back and forth about trying to think about how do I fix this – at least I got two outfitters I could throw out there every day. Now, Quan is a, you know, I've been a big Quan guy. He, I, the other game I was, when I was there and another game after that, I saw he finally started to be hit some more line drives and ground balls. He had been uppercutting, David. Everything was pop up, up in the air. That's not his style of play. Um, and I, maybe he was concerned because the outfield was playing him more shallow all the time. Um, and you just have to, he's a line drive ground ball hitter. Just do it. Yeah, and, and speaking of Quan, let me, let's run over Gonzalez's numbers real quick today. Yes. Going into this weekend series at Baltimore, he uh, he finished the week with nine hits, and this is all from uh, Joe Noga's story that he uh, wrote this week. He finished with the week with nine hits, the fifth most in franchise history through a Cleveland player's first five games. He's batting 360 with a pair of RBI, two doubles, and an 840 OPS. And like you mentioned, Terry, he's only struck out three times in 21 at bats. How many times so, has he walked? I don't think. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't have that. My guess is zero. Yeah, you might be right on that. But I don't Um, care. I'm serious, David. I I like getting on base, but but let's. Those who just purely kneel at the altar of walks, um. I just think sometimes you're genuflecting in the wrong place. Now I I remember I had an argument with uh, a top executive from the 
from the, uh, they were the Indians then. And I said, you know, I, I get that uh, you guys like the on-base percentage and thing. He goes, well, if you get on base, you're not making it out. And I said, that's true. But I will say this, if you strike out, you give your chance self no chance to get on base unless a catcher misses it. So there's always these trade-offs, but they make these bold statements. Yeah, well, it, like the ultimate is drawing a walk, getting on base. No, the ultimate is driving in runs one way or the other. And, and the biggest detriment to driving in runs is striking out. I know once in a while a guy hits into a double play, but sometimes they also boot that ground ball too. At least they hit it. Well, we saw yesterday Jose Ramirez uh, got an RBI on a, a ground. He was hustling down first base and, yep. and got an RBI on that. And so, yeah, putting the ball, there's something to be said for putting the ball in play. So, there's a lot so, to be said for it. Yeah. So, we've, you, you were talking about Stephen Kwan. I'm, how excited do you think Guardians fans should be about Oscar Gonzalez at this point? We saw it with Stephen Kwan. Like, mm-hmm. the more you play, the more data there is on you, the more, mm-hmm. the more information opposing teams have on where to pitch you. Uh, where to throw the ball in different spots in the count. He's going to be going through this where, yes, you're in the league for, you're in the major leagues for a week, but then other teams are going to start to adapt. Mm-hmm. People should be excited, but don't like, don't be too, he's a different type of player and it's going to be really fun to watch him develop. It sounds like where you're at. Yeah. I, I, look, we, right now the people that are following the Guardians are pretty much the hardcore fans. That's what I sense. Just by the, based on the, in, on the uh, emails I'm getting and well, the Hey Terry stuff. You know, they're, they're looking at younger guys, they're looking at farm systems and that. Um, your point is well taken. He's going to have some rough spots, he being Gonzalez. Uh, one difference is Quan uh, played only 27 games at the AAA level in his entire career. Now, you know, he's a big-time college player, Oregon State, and he really hasn't even – I think it's only 78 games above the Class A level. So he's been rushed to the big leagues where – as I mean, last year, Gonzalez split up between double A AA and triple A, and then he was in triple A until basically what a week ago. So at least he has more experience there. Um, you know, and, and Gonzalez is only 24. I mean, this is the Latino experience is so different. I and mean, when they sign these kids at 15 and 16, and it's so easy to kind of write them off at well, it seems like that guy's been around forever. Yeah, but he's 23. You know, it's like be just like some guy out of like Quan was drafted at 21 or 22. I forgot what it was, you know, so it, it, it's a, it's a, just a different ball game. But, but what I've seen is a swing that isn't out of control and a guy hitting the ball the opposite field and up the middle and, and that. And by the way, Reyes was, did that for a while and now he just now he's hurt. But it's like, I don't know where that went with him. Yeah, and that's where you see a lot of guys get into trouble when they get away from that. So, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to mention real quick how you were talking about AAA. How about uh, Terry Francona's comment to Gonzalez when he he, he caught the ball, yeah. caught a fly ball for the second out, flipped it into the stands because he thought it was three outs. Gets back to the dugout and Terry Francona says, uh, "I haven't been a AAA in a while, but they still played a three outs down there." Right? <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. So, and that is, you would rather do that. It like sends the message without beating the guy over the head. And I think, too, that, you know, Gonzalez has come up to be so delightful, just his personality. I mean, he is like SpongeBob, which I, I've always liked the SpongeBob cartoons, and they're just sort of silly and fun. And it's nice that he has that. But, David, 
he's the only guy in the farm system. I know Valera, double A, George is starting to hit for some home runs. But there's no power in this farm system at the upper levels. You've got to put him out there. And, you know, we talked last week, poor Bobby Bradley is just, I mean, barely, guy could barely hit 100. Uh, it just shows, by the way, how you could lose it. If nothing else, you thought Bobby Bradley may strike out a ton of times and still hit some home runs. Bobby Bradley does not have a home run from day one of spring training till now. Yeah, and that's what I think Guardians fans are excited about, a different type of player, different body type. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah we'll see how it goes. It's going to be an interesting summer to watch him. So so the Guardians are uh, in Baltimore this weekend. They got – in terms of schedules, Terry, the Orioles are 22-30. and 30. They're mm. in last place in the AL East. And then the Guardians come home. They play the Rangers, who are 24-25 and 25 going into the weekend or going, in, going into tonight. And then they play Oakland, which is 20-33, and 33, and they're in last place in the AL West. So in the span of about a week, the Guardians will be playing the last place team in the East and the last place team in the West. So it's a good time for them to make up some ground if they're going to do it. So, and, you know, the Orioles in some, some respects are kind of like my second team just because I did break in to major league journalism and baseball covering the Orioles for the Baltimore Evening Sun in 79. I Do you know in their last three full 162-game seasons, the Orioles are averaging 111 losses? Earl Weaver and Hank Peters are not rolling over in their graves, ready to pull a Lazarus and come back <laughs> and fix the situation. It, it is appalling. It also shows how when you decide I'm going to tank and everything, you can get bad and stay bad for a long time. Now, the Royals are in a real funk like that. I thought they would be better with some of the veterans they added, but we just saw them, and they, they can't seem to – they have those college pitchers that are struggling with – I mean, baseball is really a cruel game when you get when you the Pirates, when you when you start to get bad now. So when you take the Guardians and you mentioned who are the teams are playing again. So the Orioles this weekend and they have the Rangers and the A's. Yeah, it's time to win these games. It's like they've kind of blew it against Detroit. I was, yeah, I was, they glad, for away. I was glad for Pilkington the other day. I saw him in spring training and wrote about him and I liked him. By the way, just when you see Pilkington, think Cesar Hernandez. That's who. They traded for him. All right, Terry, let's uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back. We'll talk some Cavaliers. I uh, want to talk about your faith column this week. And we've got some good Hey Terry questions. And uh, yeah, there we go. All right, we'll be right back right. in a minute on Terry's Talking. We are back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's get into the Cavaliers here. So interesting move this week. The Cavs are bringing back Luke Walton as an assistant coach on J.B. Bickerstaff's staff. And it's kind of interesting because it sounds like from what Chris, Chris Fedor reported that J.B. Bickerstaff nearly joined Walton when he was coaching in Sacramento. And now they've kind of flipped that relationship or what would have been. Um, and he's coming back to Cleveland. Um, what do you think of that move? What do you think of Luke Walton? You've got a little bit of history covering him when he was here. Walton he benefited for the fact that he was an interim coach for Steve Kerr for a brief time and the, the Warriors did very well. And then he turned around and uh, you know, got hired, got a couple of coaching jobs off of that head coaching jobs. One thing I hope that Walton's always stressed and I want to see more of here is kind of that golden state offense, which is, you know, player movement, ball movement, because the, the Cavs did it at times, but they didn't stay with it. And if he could come in and help, uh, teach that a little more because you know jb's game is defense we could see that that's really what 
his specialty is. Now, they may not call Walton the offensive coordinator or whatever, but if he could come in and fill that role uh, and help them, that would be really, I think it'd be a big boost because I thought at the end of the year, David, that they really became stagnant on offense. It was a lot of clear outs, you know, pick and roll, Darius Garland trying to just break people down the dribble and pass it. And that was not what made them effective earlier in the year. Yeah, and we saw that. And, you know, the uh, the thing that Luke Walton can bring to is a lot of experience. He knows mm-hmm. he knows the league. He, know, he was obviously played, obviously coached. And Chris Fedor's reporting that the roles kind of haven't been defined yet. So I do wonder if they'd kind of make him more of an offensive. Yeah, I mean, that's as you're saying. Even when he played, um, he was known for moving the ball and being smart. You know, he was not a – now, he's the son of Bill Walton, who's a Hall of Fame center. But – he, he's not certainly wasn't that caliber, but I remember when he was here and I forgot whether his knee was shot or his back was, shot. he had some real physical problems, but when he came in, you could see he was so smart and the ball moved. It didn't stay in his hand. Kind of like Kevin Love, Kevin Love gets the ball and, you know, moves it one way or the other. I'm curious to see if uh, Kevin Love che- uh, brings up any trade interest from other teams. Cause he is going that final year of a contract. Um, you watched him. And you think if you're a good team, I'd like to have that Kevin Love, and that Kevin Love playing for a contract could be really helpful to me. In the meantime, too, of course, that Kevin Love playing for a contract, playing like last year, could be very helpful to Cleveland. So I'm, I, I, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, I that that was one of the biggest things I was wrong about, David. Was I at this point last year? I'd had enough of uh, Love. You want to buy him out? Whatever. I don't want to see any more. You know, he would get pouting and he couldn't stay healthy. And he really revived his career. Yeah, and I think he likes it here. And he, he probably yeah. would be all right playing another year here with the contract he's got. So, all right, the Cavs, huge news this week, Terry. They have unveiled new logos. And this was uh, an effort to kind of rebrand and streamline a little bit. And Daniel Arsham, who's their creative direct- director, came up with some new twists on the logos they kind of have had in the past. What did you think of the new logos? And I also wanted to know, what is your favorite all-time Cavs logo? Did you like the blue ones? Did you like the – you probably – I'm guessing you're an old wine and gold. Old school one with the Cavalier with the hat and the sword and all that just because it goes back to that. Uh, I, I looked at the logo said, okay, you know, whatever. That's fine. I remember when I did a story uh, and I talked to uh, uh, a top person with the Cavs, at that point uh, – they didn't want to be quoted on the record because remember the, the guardians were in the middle of their gate name change and, and that. So I talked to them and as uh, this person told me, said, look, we've already had a couple logos and we're working on a couple more. He says, so if you don't like the, the guardian baseball thing, don't sweat it. You know, they can get another one. So here's what I'm saying to the guardians. I don't like the G flying G head thing. Let this guy or somebody else play with some more logos and fans who don't like it, like I do, let's see if they come up with something new. Um, But it's fine. The main thing that the Cavs have been able to do is their fan base has stayed really loyal through these up and downs with LeBron and that. And the hardcore, and there's a fairly amount of them, they, how they responded quickly last year when the team began to show that defensive presence in a, in a team basketball just should be 
something that just stirs the soul, really, of the people, of Dan Gilbert and all those people there. I mean, JB several times, and he was sincere, was raving about how that home court either kept him in the game or wouldn't let him get out of the game, even when they lost. Uh, and that that became a real factor for them. I mean, the Cavaliers have a chance. We hit on this a little bit last week, David, to hit. Like, what's Golden State's identity? What, what do you see as Golden State's identity? Uh, shooting, ball movement, and defense. Those are the mm-hmm. three things I think of right away. And stability. Oh, you mean organizationally. Sorry, no, I thought you meant on the court. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That is all the product. That's correct. And the fact that you could name it that fast, that you see it. Yeah, they got outside shooting, but the shooting is they got really good ball movement. And these guys usually in the top three defensively. And they're st- stable. It is remarkable when you look at Curry was a number seven pick, Clay Thompson a number 11 pick, and Draymond Green a third or a second rounder. By the way, Dan Gilbert is still mad at whoever was a GM when when Green was in the draft. I can't remember which GM it was. And he wanted to he wanted to draft him because Dan's friend Tom Izzo called Dan and said, You gotta take this guy. Well, and Dan <laughs> also went to Michigan State, which is where Dream on Green. Michigan went. State. So yeah. I had, you know, I want that, I want Sparty. Well, at that point he would have been right. It, we're all probably a little like Dan Gilbert. We always remember the ones we were right on, and we probably forget the ones that we weren't. But too bad they didn't take it. But also, you know, Draymond Green may not have thrived here. It, it's hard to know, but he does there. And they've had – how about this? Steph Curry went through four coaches. He came into the league, and he had Don Nelson for a year, and then he had Keith Smart, and then he had – uh, Mark Jackson, there goes that man, Mark Jackson, and he didn't, there he went. And then Steve Kerr. And so the last, you know, thing of the last eight years, they've had Steve Kerr with those three guys. You know, Durant was there for three of those years, but he came and left. And that's, think about it, the Cavs have Darius, I mean, they have Darius Garland, they have Evan Mobley, and they have, um, uh, Oh my goodness. Who's their third guy? Evan Mobley. Jared Allen. Jared Allen. And then Laura, and Laurie Markinen. Yeah, I got my brain confused on who's three. Right. Allen, an all star center. Garland, an all star point guard. And then Mobley, a, ri- a true rising star with Markham, who actually could fit, maybe like he wouldn't have fit in Chicago, could fit here with the big thing in defense and his outside shooting. And I think they have the right coach and JB to go long-term with it. Well, and like you said, Terry, in a lot of ways, they're farther ahead than some of these other franchises were. I mean, you mentioned the coaching changes in Golden State, but even going back to like, you know, anybody who watched uh, The Last Dance, Michael Jordan went through several coaches, Stan Allback and and Doug Collins before they finally hit on Phil Jackson and the Cavs have that they have even kevin lockery by the way (laughs) kevin lockery right he was in the mix too but the Cavs have stable ownership the gm is here for long term he's got a new contract the coach is here long term he's got a so like they're they're set up for success and now it's just to let it happen on the court yeah and see how big it goes the goal for them from we'll, we'll talk a little more maybe after the draft in case something changed but the goal for them this year is to you know be in that top six and get into a, a tough grueling playoff series to really see what it's like uh, and and be exposed to that. But I, the, the Cavs organization should be very thankful to their fans 
who have stuck with them through the ups and downs of this because the LeBron rebuilds are brutal as, as, as they know. And they have the uh, losses to show it. The fans been through it all. So, uh, Hey, NBA finals tonight, Terry Celtics warriors. Any thoughts on that real quick? And then we'll, well we just talked golden state, but, um, I was thinking about how remember Kyrie Irving went to Boston because quote unquote, it's a real sports city quote unquote. I want to be focal point of the franchise. As you recall, the Celtics kept playing, running into LeBron and like the Eastern Conference Finals and losing. Kyrie goes there and dysfunction follows. And it's almost like they had to clean away from Carl, Kyrie and whatever and get back to what made them good. You know, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, and they were a tough defensive team and they were unselfish. And you look at that and that team is back. And Meanwhile, Kyrie, of course, hooks up with Kevin Durant, and okay, they knocked off the Cavs in the play-in, but so what? So Jalen Rose actually voted Kyrie Irving on his ballot. I think he is his third choice for MVP <laughs> this season. <laughs> and Stephen A. Smith, there's a great video of Stephen A. Smith just taking him down for that. I mean, with all the games that Kyrie Irving missed, it's if you get a chance, watch it. It's entertaining. Well, it's, here's the thing. I had a top NBA person say to me, Maybe LeBron's greatest achievement was keeping Kyrie Irving in line for three years and taking him to the finals. Because as you see, everything that was said about him here or whatever was true. Strange, on his own agenda, outrageously talented. He is one of the most talented guards I have ever seen. And I mean, I could tell you about Jerry West or whatever, but he's not a winner. All right. Do you want to make a pick for the finals? I'm going with the Warriors. All right. I am too. It's also hard because I know Steve Kerr. I covered him when he was here. I text with him once, you know, a couple times a year. Um, Great guy. You know, the other sidelight to that, by the way, we're talking about Luke Walton. Did you see Mike Brown is the new coach in Sacramento? You know, he revived his career by becoming Steve's top lieutenant. And remember, when Steve was having health problems a few years ago, Mike Brown would handle the team in the interim. What do you think? you have any idea? I, I was trying to decide. How's Mike going to do? Well, I, the thing that I think Mike Brown, when he was here, he was so defensive-minded. And I think mm-hmm. the fans really wanted to see some more offensive creativity. But you know, you know how it is sometimes – coaches get categorized Terry mm-hmm. early in their careers but we have to remember these guys change as they and I'm hoping that when he goes to Sacramento that we'll see a more rounded version of Mike Brown than the Cavs fans saw because I think they need that I mean Sacramento has got to be the worst NBA market and I think they, they deserve an entertaining team so hopefully Mike Brown can can bring that to them and has some new ideas offensively couple factors on Mike Brown number one was when he came here the no, Mike Brown number two which is the year before LeBron came Kyrie Irving really undercut him big time. And I've got that from there because he wanted to guard people. Of course, Kyrie wanted to be Kyrie and, you know, so that was bad. Then he goes to Golden State. And as you said, he has this defensive mindset thing. Now he is living in, you know, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, Kerr's out of the Popovich, Phil Jackson school of ball movement, player movement. He's watching that year after year he's helping teach teach it you know week after week in practice if mike brown and mike brown by the way is one of the most decent human beings this this counts a lot players do trust him 
So he has a chance to go in there and put that in. I haven't looked at Sacramento's roster uh, to see what they've got, but I think he can make them better. Yeah, and you know how much a, a big part of being an NBA coach is just working with the guys on the roster and making yeah. them respect you and, and play for you. And he'll he'll do great at that. I mean, you're right. He, he's got that part down, no doubt about it. So, all right, Terry, we're coming up on time a little bit. I want to move along here to talk about your faith column this week. You kind of did a multi-part faith column. And again, it's going to be on cleveland.com on Saturday morning, and it'll be in Sunday morning's Plain Dealer. Uh, you kind of wrote about a stuffed Snoopy that kind of Gave you puppy yeah. dog eyes and yeah, made, I mean, you, sounds, made you buy them at the, at the drugstore. So it sounds dumb, but I don't care. I was at a, a discount drug mart before Mother's Day, and this whole I like Snoopy, by the way. I like peanuts. I like Snoopy. Um, Roberto, we have Snoopy cars around and things. So the whole bunch of Snoopies, okay, fine. They're selling them for the holidays. Then I was there about a month later, and all of them were gone but one. And I'm looking at the lonely Snoopy there, and then I thought of Matt Lodi, who was my friend, and some of us know him for years in the Cleveland media. If you don't know the name, you have heard his voice doing sports updates and all the things on various stations. And I'd written a couple of uh, faith columns actually about Matt and his battle with cancer. He died at 46. I saw the lonely Snoopy. By the way, if you go to Matt's house, there are Snoopies and Charlie Brown everywhere. I mean, like 20 some. It's, It's incredible. And I thought, you know what? Matt Lodi would buy that Snoopy. I'm buying that Snoopy. He's in our house now. So, but I also think it's kind of one of those things like, you know, you remember a friend, you remember something, a stuffed animal. Okay. It is warm and fuzzy, but I don't care. Well, and it's kind of like the universe giving you a sign and yeah. you have to, you have to kind of open there. yourself up to that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and just, I, you know, there's something to like you're 66 years old. You still want to stuff Snoopy. Okay. So there's a little child in there. Yeah. And then Terry, I, I don't want to spoil spoiler alert or whatever, but uh, you had a, a few, I think it was about a month ago. Somebody emailed you for your faith column saying if they should go see, uh, I think it was their cousin who was having mm-hmm. some health issues and you reached out to Rocky Calavito and Rocky's advice was go see him. You'll, you'll be so happy you did. And I love reading about these kind of moments in your faith column because it kind of just shows the the impact that it has on people. But this this gentleman who wrote you after reading what Rocky said in your column went to visit his cousin. And why don't you tell the rest of the story? Because well, I thought it was really actually, touching. The story that- began with he called his cousin on the phone who's got all kinds of health issues uh, and it didn't go well. It's not there, but it just didn't. And, and, you know, sometimes the phone thing there. So. He sent me the email, like, I don't know what to do. Do I call again or whatever? So I thought, oh, first I was going to write about how Herbie, I'm sorry, how Rocky Calavito would call his friend Herbie Scores. He called him Herbie. And uh, then I thought, why don't I just call Rocky and ask him? He's 88 years old. You know, he's lost part of his leg. He always tells me, call anytime, you know. So I called him and, you know, I read him the letter and asked him about how uh, he was able to, talk to Herb because Herb scored lost his ability to speak the last several years of his life. So those are not easy phone calls. And then, you know, Rocky's like, yeah, yeah, go see the cousin. You go, you know what I'm sick of? I'm sick of people. They hear a guy that they knew he's ill. He may not be around long. Did they go see him? No, no. They wait till he dies. And then they'd go and they say nice stuff at the funeral. Tell him why he's alive. So I wrote that column. Well, this guy read it. And he went down and visited his cousin, and they had a delightful visit because oftentimes, by the way, especially with people who are ill, being in person 
makes a big difference. Yeah, so be sure to catch that column in Terry's Faith and You column this weekend. There's some, some really good stuff in there. Snoopy and Rocky Calavito, and it's always a, kind of a good way to nourish your soul uh, on the weekend. So, all right, we got time for a couple of Hey Terry questions, Terry. Okay. This one is from Reb Dog. He says, Terry, the Browns seem to like their share of defensive backs. Any chance they are considering free agent and former Brown Joe Hayden? What would you think of bringing Joe Hayden back, Terry? Thinking about it. 33 um, years old. I looked up some of his stats from last season because I was curious. He graded 63.4, according to Pro Football Focus. Below and average, he, but not he did allow 32 catches on 49 targets, which is not great. Not great. Um, but fans love Joe Hayden. Too, too late, though, huh? What do you think? Probably, yeah. Joe would be a guy that if you, you're getting the training camp and all of a sudden you're having the injuries left and right, I would bring him in because he knows how to play. Now, it may just be he knows how to keep the guy at the end zone and tackle him after he catches the ball. But um, it is a little concerning that Pittsburgh doesn't seem to have any interest in keeping him, at least as of this point. So it's not the dumbest idea, though. It's really not, Red Dog. Yeah, and it could be an example of like you see, like you said, a team picks somebody up in midseason if they have some injuries. Yeah, so or in training camp, or maybe in training camp you're looking and you know Emerson is not playing like you hope or whatnot. You could bring bring Hayden in on the minimum contract, and because you know that that's would be it. And it. You know, in the NFL, you could structure that thing, and if you don't make it a month later, you're out of there. And here's fifty bucks. Have a good life. So, uh, well, you know, I don't need I don't need to see to do it now. But he, you know, how they have a list of names of maybes. He would be on my list. Well, and we see this in baseball a lot too, where a guy will be around longer than maybe his talent because he's such a good guy in the locker room yeah. and he's great in the community. And Joe Hayden's a great in the community and, he can and help really good some. in the locker room. You know, so. And yeah, you got to be able to play some. Yeah. Now I saw Joe. I didn't think he was totally washed up last year. So. Well, and you know how that is. It's a war of attrition during an NFL yeah. season. And you might yes. need a guy like him at some point. And remember, we always say about defensive backs, they're like pitchers. You can never have enough. And. Even if you don't have them in the roster, you better have that backup list ready because somebody's going to pull a hamstring or whatever it is. Thanks for that question, Reb Dog. Uh, we'll take one more, Terry. This is from Tom Peters, who lives in Champion, Ohio. He says, Terry, I'm sure many Browns fans would feel differently about Maker, Baker Mayfield if they understood how the fifth-year team option works for first-round picks. I believe he felt entitled to treat Odell Beckham as he did not criticize the coach and to act like a spoiled brat because during the 2021 season, he knew his 2022 contract was guaranteed. He felt like he was holding all the cards and was invincible. I know many Browns fans thought the team had picked up Baker's option a few weeks before signing Watson. Good riddance to him. I do believe the Browns want an adult as their leader. You think the contract thing had any bearing on how no, he I, mean, I would say it's just the opposite. I think what Baker thought, because they, they first they pick up the fifth-year option, that that was a gateway to a longer extension. Not that I made, have it made. It's like, and then when nothing followed, it's like, oh, maybe they don't love me. Uh, I really think that what Baker can be a bit of a bit spoiled. Some of these other guys are. But the bottom line, he was hurt. We, we can go round and around on that. The shoulder was bad. They played him too much. Oh, here comes the case Keenum horse one more time out of the stall. You had a viable backup. You could have played more often to maybe see if that shoulder would heal a little more or whatever. They didn't do it. And so, yes, Baker's some at fault here, but also 
I think the Browns mishandled it. And we'll see where he ends up now. But I, yeah. I don't believe that that fifth-year option made him feel all that entitled. Uh, it's just the opposite. Usually when it's picked up, that means – like they picked up Miles Garrett's fifth-year option, and then they turned around and turned an extension. They picked up Denzel Ward's fifth-year option. They turned around and made that into an extension. That's usually what that means. Well, I do wonder if Mayfield had it to do all over again, if he would have done it differently in terms of ripping the coaches for game yep. plans and not adjusting like that's not a way to yep. endear yourself. All right. Hey, if you want to get a question to us, uh, you can send it to sports at cleveland.com and put, Hey, Terry or Terry's talking in the subject line. We'll try and get it on next week's podcast or hit Terry up on his Facebook page and we will try to get you on Terry. We are just about out of time. One more shameless plug for your June 7th and June 14th appearances. Yeah, June 7th will will be library, 7 p.m., and I'll be talking and meeting fans and signing books. June 14th, the next Tuesday, 6.30 p.m., Wall of Books in Parma. That's June 14th, Wall of Books in Parma, 6.30 at Parmatown. Have a great time out there on Tuesday. We'll be doing our podcast after that, so I'll be interested to hear how it went. And if I can, maybe I'll swing by. See how it goes. So, all right, we're done. Thanks, Terry. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to everybody for listening. And we will talk to you next time on Terry's Talking.